everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I may have just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty good. Been listening to some older rock and roll classics lately, and that's been treating me pretty well. You know what had a pretty innovative lyrical structure? The song Splish Splash. It tells the time-honored story of a man who was taking a bath, then realized there was a party, and decided to join in the party. Now, we've all heard that story, like, a million times. It's one of Joseph Campbell's, like, four stories that have ever been told. There's A Stranger Comes to Town, Man Versus Nature, and Man Takes a Bath, and then, I don't know, Die Hard. But what makes the song interesting is its lyrical structure. See, it rhymes onomatopoeic sound effects with the narrative as it tells the story. So you have lyrics like, splish splash, I was taking a bath. Very evocative. Rub-a-dub just relaxing in the tub. Yeah, we get the idea. But the story that the song told felt incomplete, so I was able to do a little bit of research, and I found that there were a lot of lyrics that were on the cutting room floor that just got edited out. I think my favorites of them were... Bing bong, they saw my whole dong. I guess I should have gotten dressed. Which was, of course, when the police showed up at the party because the party goers had phoned them due to the fact that there was a wet, naked man who insisted on dancing with them, as he self-narrated. And that was, of course, followed by Zazz, they tased my nude ass. I could tell that they were unimpressed. So had these lyrics been included, I can see where it may have been a less commercially viable song, perhaps, but I think in some ways it would have told a fuller story. I guess in a lot of ways the 50s were a very different time, when maybe there was somebody who was capable of having the phrase, bing bong, they saw my whole dong, pop into their head, and not want to record themselves saying it for an audience. Frankly, I have difficulty imagining it. Now let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado... Let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Jonathan Occasion. The white-faced gibbon's fur was moist with treetop mist as he swung on by to deliver the synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Jonathan. New Teen Titans, Volume 2, Number 2. October, 1984. The Search for Raven. Written by Marv Wolfman, drawed by George Perez, inked by George Perez, lettered by Todd Klein, colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Teen Titan Roll Call Beast Boy, Jericho, Starfire, Nightwing, Wonder Girl, Cyborg, Lilith, Kid Flash, and Raven, sort of. Previously in the New Teen Titans. A few months ago, Lilith, the red-headed, occasionally psychic veteran of the original Titans team, briefly rejoined our titular teenagers after attending Wonder Girl's wedding. During this brief reunion, Lilith encountered an amnesiac alien angel with whom she instantly formed a deep emotional bond. 
Based on no evidence, and despite her protestations to the contrary, the rest of the team decided that her forgetful flying friend was probably mind-controlling Lilith, and spent the better part of an issue chasing the alarmed extraterrestrial around the city, trying to kick his ass. Eventually, the apparent angel got tired of this nonsense and flew away. Understandably upset by her teammates' questionable judgment, Lilith once again quit the team. Speaking of team members who attended their resignation, after what felt like several years of high-speed waffling, founding titan Wally West, aka Kid Flash, decided to hang up his spandex and retire from superheroing. Unbeknownst to his former teammates, the junior Wizard of Wiz's retirement from rapid running was not due entirely to reasons of general job dissatisfaction, as he had stated at his exit interview. Turned out Wally was secretly suffering from a mysterious malady, and moving at super speed was causing him intense pain, and might indeed do in the distressed do-gooder. In the intervening months, or possibly years, comic book time can be confusing, since Wally's departure, an already emotionally unsteady Raven grew increasingly concerned about exerting her powers. The avian-themed Azerathian empath worried that if she was unable to control her emotions, her dad Trigon, an extra-dimensional demon of almost unimaginable power, would turn her evil, climb out of her soul tummy, and wreck the universe. A distraught raven attempted to bring these concerns up to her teammates, but just when the support-seeking sorceress was about to bear her soul, Joe Wilson, aka Jericho, decided to take over her body as a prank. Damn it, Jericho! Immediately overwhelmed by the evil forces that Raven was struggling to contain, a bewildered Jericho bounced out of the borrowed body. Horrified that she might endanger her boundary-ignoring buddies, Raven retreated to her room and announced that she would be leaving the Titans. An apparently contrite Jericho apologized for his earlier transgression, but then perpetrated a much worse one. After waiting for Raven to go to sleep, Jericho snuck into her room and used his objectively creepy powers to invade her subconscious like a well-intentioned Freddy Krueger. Bad Jericho! The curly-haired creepo found himself in a hellish dreamscape where, after snooping around for a minute, he encountered Trigon himself. Uh-oh! Trigon psychically tortured Jericho until Raven showed up and used the last remaining bit of her willpower to expel Jericho from her mind, freeing him from Trigon's clutches. The terrified titan with questionable consent policies found himself alone in Raven's room. The embattled Azerathian empath was nowhere to be found. As a dark and mysterious storm suddenly engulfed the titan's T-shaped skyscraper, the sound of otherworldly demonic laughter suddenly filled the air. Gad Zooks! Do these mysterious sounds of menacing mirth spell trouble for the titans? Will Lilith and Wally return to aid our titular team? And has Raven finally succumbed to her four-eyed deer-antlered crimson dad's influence? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, yup. I mean, have you ever known disembodied demonic laughter to be a good sign? I probably wouldn't have mentioned them in the previously in thing if they didn't. And let's just say the eyes have it. On account of she turns red and grows an extra pair of eyeballs. Get it? The eyes have it. But like eyeballs, but also like a yes vote. Pretty good. Raven's mom, Arella, wakes up in the weird, shitty dimension that acts as a bridge between Earth and Azeroth. At first, she's all like, What happened? Because she had previously been trapped in a different shitty dimension, battling Trigon and trying to keep him from escaping, since all the way back in New Teen Titans number 6. Then she gets super freaked out, because if she's not trapped in that dimension anymore, then that means Trigon isn't trapped there anymore either. Uh-oh. 
Arella sees the hooded figure of her daughter Raven trundling across the stalagmite bridge towards Azeroth and tries to warn her that her pops is on the loose. But as she approaches, a booming evil voice tells her that she is too late. Raven is his. You guys, I, I bet that's Trigon. Back in New York, outside the Titan Tower, Wonder Girl is doing a little poking around. Turns out that the dark ominous storm clouds that engulfed the T-shaped skyscraper at the end of the last issue have spread out a bit and are now encircling the entire globe. Probably not a great sign. Donna heads back in to check in with the rest of the gang. The Titans have gathered inside of Raven's room and are looking for clues as to the whereabouts of the enigmatic empath. Jericho tells the rest of the gang that he feels like a real jerk-off for screwing everything up. Cyborg tells him not to worry about it, but you know what? You go ahead and worry about that one, Joe. Poking around in someone's brain without their consent is pretty fucked up, and now as a consequence of your invasive bullshit, the whole universe is kind of hosed, so I'm gonna say a little hand-wringing on this one wouldn't be too out of line. The discussion regarding the necessity of Jericho's contrition is interrupted by Nightwing, who has just discovered that wherever Raven is, she has left her rings behind. Oh no! The Titan's concern is well-founded. A goth teen would never leave the house without wearing rings, unless something was terribly wrong. And Raven's dedication to accessorizing is, if possible, even stronger than that of the average teenage goth, because her rings were given to her by her mentor, the sorceress Azar, right before she died. The gang is still pondering the significance of this discovery when they're surprised by the unexpected arrival of everyone's favorite intermittently intuitive ingenue, Lilith. Hooray! Our heroes make some vague apologies for whatever it was they should apologize to Lilith for. The story involving the amnesiac alien angel wouldn't be published for another eight months or so, so they're a little light on the details. Lilith accepts and goes to take a closer look at the abandoned jewelry. As soon as the temperamentally telepathic teen takes hold of the rings, all heck breaks loose. The windows of Raven's bedroom shatter, Cyborg is struck by lightning, and the bed spontaneously combusts. The team tries to leave, but the door is sealed, and even Wonder Girl's considerable strength is unequal to the task of dislodging it. Then, as suddenly as the seemingly supernatural shenanigans had begun, they abate. The flames are extinguished, and the door flies wide open. The teens tumble into the hallway and attempt to regroup. Lilith turns to address her former teammates and is like, Well, these rings can help us connect to Raven's soul, but if we're going to be able to reach her, we also have to connect to her heart which is apparently a different thing. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to put the band back together. At Lilith's insistence, the Titans hop into their fancy jet and head out to recruit the one former member that they think might be able to pull Raven back from wherever she's gotten off to. Please be Aqualad, please be Aqualad, please be Aqualad, please be Aqualad, please be Aqualad. Nope, it's Wally. Well, shit. The gang zooms over to Blue Valley where Wally and his rad, magnet-powered girlfriend Frances Kane are attending college. Wally is initially hesitant, but eventually agrees to go. Frances isn't crazy about the idea of Wally going on a potentially deadly quest to save his ex-girlfriend, but Wally explains, No, baby, I can see where you might think Raven was my ex, because of how I never shut up about her, but it's not really like that. She was never actually my girlfriend. She was more like a friend that I was obsessed with and angry at because I felt like she owed me affection, but she refused to date me. So I decided she was evil, and then I kept lashing out at her passive-aggressively. 
Then I spent about 15 issues flip-flopping back and forth about whether I loved or hated her. But you don't have anything to worry about because I'm totally over her now. See, I even wrote all these song lyrics about how over her I am. Maybe once we find her, I'll give her this tape I recorded on my four track. Then she can see for herself how totally over her I am. Anyway, bye, Raven. I I mean, Francis. When they get back to the tower, the Titans gather in Raven's room so that Lilith can lead them in a seance to try to contact their missing chum. Wally is skeptical because he's an idiot. Seriously, dude, when you have personally met angels, demons, wizards, gods, and ghosts, disbelief in the supernatural is just stupid. Lilith lights a candle and everyone holds hands. Almost immediately, Raven's spirit starts talking through Lilith. See, Wally? Dumbass. Raven slash Lilith is like, What the fuck, guys? Leave me alone! I'm tired of trying to let Trigons be bygones! I'm going to go ahead and be evil now, so go away! Then a different voice starts speaking through Lilith and is like, Hey guys, Raven's Momorella here. Sorry about my daughter. You know how teens are. She's probably just going through a phase. Anyway, Trigon's destroying the mystical city of Azeroth right now, and it looks like they could really use a hand. Do you mind if I just beam you over there so that you can pitch in? Thanks. And with that, a beam of magical light envelops our titular heroes, and they are sorcerously transported to Azeroth. Gotta say, the place is a real shit show. Winged demons swoop down from flaming skies, destroying both the city's architecture and its bearded denizens with equal disregard. The Titans set in and attempt to rescue the imperiled Azerathians, but the weird beards are like, What are you doing? Knock it off! We like this! We are super into being destroyed right now, so stop trying to yuck our collective yum. There's like a prophecy or something. Come on, destroy us, Trigon! All the empaths and sorcerers, including the sporadically psychic Lilith and Raven's Momorella, find themselves drawn inexorably towards a building in the center of the city called the Tomb of Azar. They call it that because it's Azar's tomb. Fair enough. Wally sees Lilith being swept along with a crowd of psychics, and despite his apparently life-threatening allergy to super speed, he attempts to zoom to the rescue. Doesn't go so great. The formerly fleet-footed Wally really ought to have packed an EpiPen, because after running into the tomb, he collapses in pain. It is from this position that he sees the speech that is delivered to, and by, those who have gathered in the tomb. Speaking with one voice, the assembled mystics say, Well, we had a good run, but we all knew this day was coming. Everybody ready? Okay, good. Time to die! And with that, the walls of the city crumble and all those who exist within it are destroyed. Bummer. Wait a minute. The Titans were existing within Azeroth right then. They were destroyed too? Bummer. Back in New York, outside the Titan Tower, a throng of media has gathered. A news reporter is recording a story about the fact that the tower seems to be the epicenter of the mysterious lightning storm that is plaguing the planet, when he is interrupted by the harbinger of a much different story. Raven has arrived. There's something different about the reclusive teen. Maybe it's the fact that she's speaking to the assembled media with an uncharacteristic confidence. Or maybe, just maybe, it's the fact that she is bright red and has four eyeballs. Plus, I think she's doing something different with her hair. 
Raven hovers above her audience and delivers a little speech that is basically like, My dad Trigon is a huge, mean, evil demon. He's conquered or destroyed millions of universes, and he's gonna be here soon. If you guys don't do what he says, then you're all fucked. Conquered sucks, but it's better than destroyed. So get ready to grovel, because here he comes. Oh, and also try not to mention the fact that he's wearing a codpiece that looks either like his own face or the Hawaiian punch guy. I agree, it's a weird choice, but I'd like to refer you back to the beginning of the speech about the conquering and destroying thing. Okay, got it? Good, cause here he comes! And with that, Raven sends her giant bird-shaped soul avatar to roost on the top of the Titan Tower. The huge bird glows red, and then, from the glowing crimson depths of this avian image emerges the terrifying form of Trigon! Raven tells the world to tremble and bow to her scary dad. Fortunately, nobody mentions the codpiece. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? Doing quite well. How are you? I'm doing pretty great. Got these, uh, these fancy new goblets at a novelty tourist shop on the coast. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Pretty good. You got a tree-beard-looking thing. I got a trio of uh, bears and tigers. And by trio, I mean four of them. A quartet. A quartet. I don't know what the noun of association for uh, bear tigers is. Hmm. A troop? Uh, let's see. A clan of cave bears. All right. And a, um, let's see, it's a pride of lions. Mm-hmm. So a shame of tigers. A shame of tigers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, got a clan of cave bears and a shame of tigers on my uh, goblet. Take your pick. Pretty good. Uh, as I mentioned, we were a little bit nervous because it does say they're for decorative use only, but neither of us had our face melt, like, at the end of uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Mm-hmm. So I think we're sitting pretty. Pretty good. Pretty Sitting pretty good. Uh-huh, if you will. Yeah, I will. Okay. You want to talk about this comic book? Sure. Corey, what would you think of this comic book? First up, artwork is bonkers amazing. Yeah. First, last, and throughout, the artwork is tremendous. It really seems like everyone is leaning into and exploring the fact that they have the new format that they do. And it's just gorgeous. They're, they're doing different things. Perez has an extended sequence where it's like charcoal etchings almost, or, or just pencil work, but it's when they're in the Trigon dimension. And... It's fucking gorgeous. It looks like that aha video. Yeah. Take on me, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, although this came out before then, so possibly it was an, an uh, oh. possibly it was an inspiration for for those Swedish lads. Do you think uh, Perez worked on their video? Maybe. I mean, it was a pretty good video, mm-hmm. so I assume he worked on it. But it does like it has that same otherworldly quality, and it's when they're in. Azeroth and on the bridge leading to Azeroth, which we've seen depicted before, but in this, it had a really different, almost dreamlike quality, and it was because of those, like, light pencils. It's just such an obviously different art technique. 
And when we saw it reproduced in the newsprint reprint of it, it's not as good. It doesn't come through as much. They had to, I think, ink the pencils to reproduce them that way. But it seems like everybody's enjoying working with the new format because like the colors really pop a lot more. So I, I think Adrian Roy was really exploring that and what she could do with this new printing. Even the letterist, letterist, letterer, letterer, even letterman, Todd Klein. There are scenes which I'm not sure if he was doing the sound effects. I think so. Different art teams break it up different ways in terms of that. Whoever did the lettering, there's one specific thing. I call it the Mobius No. I called it that too. Oh, nice. But it is somebody screaming the word, no, 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 no. Just having that is one thing, but the way that it snakes around and you can see from the way that the letters are shaded in on the other side of it, that it's a 3D thing that's intertwining this like five or six panel grid. It's so cool looking. And you can see it's like it's flipping around and going the other way and they do that through shading. And I don't think it gets the same kind of reproduction with the newsprint. And it's just really, really cool. That entire page really pops because there's what I would describe as maybe a rust or ochre-colored background, and then all of the panels are not black and white, but yellow and black. Mm -hmm. And then the there's this bright blue of the lettering, which I don't know if those are complementary colors, the yellow and blue like that, but it really stands out. It looks amazing. And... It's a yellow background and then the pencils on top of that. But you have earlier when there's the the seance sequence, you have the backgrounds are black instead of white. And the characters are coming through that and it looks so ominous and so trippy. It's fun to see these new formats being played with, but also it's just fucking gorgeous. It's the closest to a real like creepy horror comic that, I mean, we've seen... These books take little bits of a dark turn <laughs> here and there. But this is really the first one that's like, actually, I can imagine being a little kid reading this and just being like, well, yep, I'm not sleeping now. Yep, I'm going to go bury this comic out in the yard. Like <laughs> like my sister did with her copy of The Red Dragon, the Thomas Harris book. Yes, that's a scary book. Um, I didn't read it. Looked too scary for me. Well, no, you, thanks. You can't now. Nope. Only copy we got's probably long gone. I mean, I could try to dig it up, but oh man, can you imagine if I tried to and it was there and was fine? That'd be creepy. If it. I dug it up and it wasn't there anymore, oh, where did it go? It's uh, like you often describe watching scary movies. Like it's not a there's it's a lose lose proposition. Indeed. Yeah. Either I'm gonna be bored because it's not well done, or I'm gonna be scared because it's well done, and. I'm bored and scared all the time already. <laughs> I don't need to add to that. Right, so I uh, don't pick up the book. Yeah, I think that's my plan. That being said, I will say, we're leaving somebody out of this, because Marv Wolfman, I think, is at his best when he is writing horror. He did Tomb of Dracula for many years, and in many ways, that, along with New Teen Titans, he worked in the industry on a number of titles throughout, but those are kind of considered his two things that he is best known for. And there's a reason for that. And when they are combined like this, it's really good. His writing around the macabre and the eldritch is really strong. And I talked about different people playing with the format. One of the things that he plays with, with the writing too, is there's one little asterisk that totally stuck out to me. It's when Lilith shows back up mm -hmm. and 
It says, remember this happened in issue number 54 of Tales of the Teen Titans. That issue would not come out for another eight months after this was published. So he's referencing as a callback something that hasn't happened yet. And I checked, that is the issue that Lilith has the blow-off with the Teen Titans in. And generally, Wolfman isn't considered like a particularly meticulous plotter. And I think that has kind of come through with some of his stuff before in terms mm -hmm. of oh, it seemed like you were going this direction, and then you forgot that you were going that direction. But you can see with this, he did, I don't know if he had the scripts written in advance yet that far ahead, or just had them outlined, but putting a callback to something that hasn't happened yet is pretty impressive calling your shot there, and that it did pay off was kind of neat. And it also kind of plays into, yeah, this feeling of being disconcerted and a little bit confused with time, which I don't know if it's intentional that it plays into this particular story, but it really works, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had similar thoughts along that, and I was reading it, and I was like, okay, that sounds familiar because we've read a lot of this stuff, but we're in the, we have the whole time paradox because of this splitting off and being volume yeah. two, issue two. Huh? Yeah. Well, and that's, the other thing, and we had found it really frustrating in the Tales of the Teen Titans before, that it really did seem like we had static char character growth for a while, and that plots really weren't advancing. And it's kind of refreshing to find ourselves in this story and also feeling like, wow, anything could happen now. We're no longer restrained by those precepts of this has to happen by this period of time. By this period of time, everything has to be back at this resetting point. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, it's disorienting, but in a way that really works well for this story, I think. Yeah, I mean, you really just gotta think something to yourself like, kiss my booties and hug me tight, I'm <laughs> along for the ride. Well, I mean, that's what you always think to yourself, I, I, I'm assuming, right? I just, I, speaking of characters developing, I, Beast Boy was okay in this one. Yeah, he to... didn't do anything specifically terrible he that said, we know of. He said a couple cute things. He did. Like that one. Yeah. When Lilith shows back up, he said that. Unless that's some creepy thing that I just didn't understand. Well, he does say he wants to be held tight, but yeah, who doesn't? Oh, uh, you think he was addressing that at Lilith? To kiss, I mean, it's his, a possibility that we can. Booties? Yeah. Like that... little socks? Yeah, like or, or his multiple wears. butts. Like, maybe he tur turns into a multi-butted animal sometimes. Is there an animal that has more than one butt? Oh, man. I mean, I assume there are probably alien creatures that are like a reverse spider. I mean, they do say that the... Uh, what? Because a, a spider <laughs> has many eyes. Uh-huh. So, I mean, the opposite of an eyeball is a butthole, right? I mean, they do say that both are the window to the soul. No, they don't. <laughs> don't they? <laughs> nope. Oh, geez. I've got some explaining to do. Wouldn't a mouth be more like the the opposite of a butthole than an eyeball? I guess. It takes in nourishment and the other one expels waste. But one takes in beauty. <laughs> and expels. And the other one expels waste. Hmm. So you can just poop out everything you see. Oh, man. So, okay, if you eat something really spicy, and the next day you're like, ah, what the hell? Oh, yeah. So what happens after, like, I don't know. You look at something super ugly? 
Yeah, or you watch like a Merlin War of the Dragons type movie. Okay, it was Merlin and the War Dragon. Next day, do you poop and you're just like, man, that was a confusing bowel movement. That <laughs> Maybe that, I mean, that's kind of what your dreams are. Your dreams kind of like poop out all of the weird shit that you saw. During the day. Yeah. So that you don't have to poop it out in real life. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. All right. It's a weird metaphor. <laughs> right. But I'll, I'll accept it. The point is there's probably some kind of a many-butted spider. spider that Beast Boy turns into that has multiple booties that he wishes could be kissed. Okay. That, I guess, is less creepy than him hitting on Lilith in a confusing way. Yeah. Okay. Good job, Beast Boy. Yeah, I told you he grew up. <laughs> Way to go, buddy. Probably. There was a scene where when they are trapped in the room with the... Reverse uh, spider. <laughs> no, they're not trapped in the room with a reverse spider. Did you just but... think of that, or has that been kicking around for a while? Nope, that's new. Okay. <laughs> that's good. I was like, man, he's been sitting on that for a while. <laughs> no. I have been sitting on my one single solitary booty. Because you were a human man from Earth. Yes, not some kind of an extra-dimensional reverse spider. So there is a scene where the Teen Titans are all trapped in a room in the tower, and Vic has just been fried by lightning. Nightwing grabs a fire extinguisher and tries to use it, and all of the stuff that shoots out of the fire extinguisher is apparently extra flammable. Now, maybe these are demonic hellfire flames or something, or possibly Beast Boy replaced the fire extinguisher with a novelty fire extinguisher. Hmm. So that might be another way that he fucked up. I, that was the first thought that I had when I saw that, which uh, tells you how highly I hold Beast Boy in my esteem. Hmm. It seems like they should probably not make novelty fire extinguishers. No bad idea. Yeah, it's a terrible prank. So, speaking of creatures with many eyes, Raven. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, she always had previously looked like her mom a lot more, but now she's really got her dad's eyes. And it is a good look in terms of being real bad, but it is a terrible look in terms of looking like I would prefer Raven to look. Yeah, it would be nice if she didn't look so very evil. So evil. So obviously demonic. From Trigon's standpoint, last time he showed up on Earth, he had maybe not the best hype man in the world, Goron, mm -hmm. who was a fairly inarticulate, giant baby demon-looking dude. Yeah, that was weird. Not the best hype man. Raven does a real good job being her dad's hype man. Like, she sure does. She's floating with that like that one knee out kind of float, which looks real cool. Uh-huh. Gives a big speech about how badass Trigon is and how everybody just better shut up and do whatever the fuck he says, because here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. She's getting her Farnsworth Bentley on, man. Mm -hmm. And she's doing a great job of it. I can see why Goron is out of a job. Like, if I were at a Nelly concert, say, okay. and one of the Saint Lunatics showed up and said... From this moment forth, he expects your total subservience and complete obedience. You will view him with the respect he demands, and you will accept that he is your god, for your meaningless lives are his to play with. Now bow before your god. Bow before Nelly. <laughs> I would be like, damn, Nelly is going to put on one hell of a show. You really got to follow that up. Otherwise, whew. 
Chump City. Well, I mean, whatever else you want to say about Trigon, and there's plenty of bad shit about the dude, he's a hell of a showman. I mean, it's come up before, but you don't have a cod piece with your own face on it unless you have something to say. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> you ever had somebody show up with a cod piece with their own face on it and then they didn't have anything to say? I gotta say, I think Trigon is the only one who I've seen rock that Yeah, look. he's the only one it's who a very can. very specific look. But he's got like that kind of like Vega showgirl outfit going on. And I really I like mean, his, uh, how do you describe that? Gila monster slash half of a Elizabethan collar thing behind his neck? Yeah, he's got that fucking scallop shell coming out behind his head like he's a Botticelli painting. It's a scalloped Dracula cape. You don't fucking see that very often. It's good look for a bad man. Good look for a bad creature. Yeah. When Raven does first show up, too, we have maybe my favorite piece of off-panel narration that we have seen yet describing the scene. When she shows up, somebody says, It's a woman! And she's talking to us! The news reporter guy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I am amazed that I have not seen that in a billion fucking internet memes yet. Mm -hmm. I feel like that should show up a lot more than it does. Just this shock and surprise. It's a woman! And she's talking to us! Yeah, well... So if you're listening at home and you want to make some internet memes, I don't know if those can be monetized, but if you end up making money off it, send us some. It is on page 23 of The New Teen Titans, Volume 2, Issue 2, and it's pretty badass. Bunch of pink dragons flying around in the background. Sky is dark with purple, ominous clouds. Mm-hmm. Raven's got four eyes and is a red demon with a big, giant, flowing cloak. And the only thing that the dude notices about her is that she's a woman. He Telling. Does, he does later notice eyes. Yeah, later. Like, after, after she's been fact. talking for a while. Yeah, well, the shock had to wear off. <laughs> right. <before he> could, <laughs> that know. it's a woman and she's yeah. talking to us. <laughs> the other thing that Raven and Trigon do when they first show up, which is kind of a weird touch, is I don't know why or how they do this, but they turn the Titan Tower into a giant stalagmite. I was wondering about that, too, if that was just, um like, an illusion, or it's, like, literally just a giant... I mean, Trigon's, as near as I can tell, as close as we get to Omnipotent in the DC universe. So I maybe he just is like, you know what? Raven likes to stand on rocks, stand on stalagmites and yell about her feelings. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to be a good manager. She's being doing a great job as hype man. And I want her to be in a situation where she's comfortable. If so, great management on Trigon's part. That does not sound like him. No, in general, I think he's probably a bad boss from what we have seen before. But maybe he learned his lesson with Goron, and he's like, you know, now that I've got a real Farnsworth Bentley, I, I want to make sure that she sticks around. Mm-hmm. Stalagmites, wherever you go. That's the Trigon promise. We see the return of a couple of Titans we haven't seen in a while in this issue. Lilith comes back. Mm-hmm. Fucking great to see her. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of surprised that she is as willing to just be like, hey, water under the bridge. Last time I was here, I know you completely robbed me of my agency, and 
ignored what I was saying in order to attack my alien amnesiac angel boyfriend for a whole issue. For no goddamn reason. For no goddamn reason. But, water under the bridge, here I am! The other thing that I enjoyed about her appearance was, I do still wonder if she's just, uh... Faking the psychic faking thing? Faking the whole thing, because anybody could have picked up that ring and been like, ooh, and then tried would have been like, yeah, it's on! <laughs> You know? Yeah, I think to an extent. I think the fact that she is drawn to that special room where all the empaths in Nazareth are hanging out would lend credence to her. But yeah, it seems like anybody could have, in the seance that they are in, have been a lightning rod for first Raven and then Arella to speak through. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're pretty powerful folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I guess she's legit. It's just, it's readable that she is still just being like, yeah, this, is, this was my ticket into, <laughs> you know, stardom. Yeah, I mean, it's better than the last time when she was literally, as people were shooting at her, saying, I sense that there's danger nearby. Everybody be careful. Mm-hmm. But in addition to Lilith, we have another familiar face show back up. Wally is back. Mm-hmm. What'd you think about that? He was surprisingly not awful. Yeah, he was still the same old Wally in a lot of ways. Okay, like how? Well, he's saying that he's over Raven, Mm -hmm. but is not acting like he is over Raven. Mm -hmm. He is showing a ridiculous degree of skepticism about the very idea of the supernatural, despite having experienced a great deal of it firsthand in the past. Mm Mm-hmm. And he is not telling the other Titans about his potential infirmity in a way that could have a very severe and direct negative impact on them. How did you feel he was pretty chill? Um, I never really felt like him being dishonest about his abilities was the defining thing that pissed me off about him. No, it's not the defining thing that pissed me off about him, but I think it is a way in which he is endangering his teammates. Yeah. If they are counting on him to do something super quick and he cannot do that. Yeah, that's so there's that, which for sure is a, you know, potential danger. Sure. But the thing that really bugged me about him in the past was just the stupid, like the super passive, aggressive, like... I like her, but she doesn't like me, so I'm just going to be a mopey jerk, and I'm going to leave the Titans, except I'm not going to leave the Titans Yeah. forever. Yeah. And then, you know, I feel like he finally was like, okay, I'm out, and they came back, and they're like, hey, we really need your help, here's what's going on, and he said, okay, I'm going to put the, the personal shit aside, and I still care for Raven, but I am over her, so I'll go help you guys. I feel like he still had one passive-aggressive thing where he was like, Why don't you just ask Jericho? They've got the hots for each other. Which everybody readily acknowledges, too. They're like, well, yeah, sure. I mean, of course they've got the hots for each other. But uh, it made me wonder if that was something that Wolfman had intended to write in more than he did. Like a conflict between... In the previous issues. Mm. Not necessarily a conflict, but just more of a burgeoning romance between Raven and Jericho. Because it was hinted at that they had a connection a couple of times... But it never really developed anywhere. And so I wonder if that was something that he had slated to happen. And then he's like, oh, I better drop some hints about it. But Mm -hmm. yeah, to me, just 
I guess in comparison to how shitty he was in the past, I was like, yeah, big deal, whatever. Sure. If, if I didn't want to do something. If you're grading on a scale, he's better than he was. Mm-hmm. But still, when they show up for the seance and he's just like, seance, like in spook shows and mediums, have you people gone nuts since I left? Wally, you live in the DC universe. You are a superhero in the DC universe. You encouraged a man to shoot a baby because it was a demon. If you don't believe in demons, and you still told Peyton Manning's dad to shoot a baby, that is some fucked up shit right there. I know you're drinking a lot of syrup in that issue, but that does not excuse that kind of fuckery, dude. I know it's really weird to say this in light of what you just mentioned, but I really miss that old Wally West. (laughs) I do too! He was a fun, syrup-chugging, encouraging an old man to shoot a toddler. Good old teen. Mm -hmm. That would be pretty fucked up, though, if he does not believe in the supernatural and he's still just like, well, that baby's really fucking annoying. Peyton Manning's dad, go for it. Like, maybe he was just like a big Baltimore Ravens fan or something. So, Uh, (laughs) have you ever been, like, when you were a kid, um, with a group of other kids about to watch a really scary movie? And there's a kid that is obviously really freaked out by what's going on and covers it by just talking a bunch of silly shit. Yeah. I mean, it's also possible that I was with a group of kids that were about to see a movie and I was that kid. (laughs) Yeah. I think I've been there as well. It was Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh. Um, The original one? mm -hmm. For me, it didn't get really scary until Dawkins started showing up. Oh, that's the second one, Dream Warriors. No, right? it's the third, fourth one. The third? Fourth. The sixth one. Fourth the one. The tenth one. It's the sixty-ninth one. Oh! Dream Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> um, not a bad song. No, it's pretty good. I think that's what Wally West is doing. He's he's just got a little Dream Warriors anxiety. <laughs> and uh, he's, he knows the I mean, that is kind of what they're doing. They're kind work. of going into a, a yep. Nightmare on Elm Street situation. He knows there. it's going to work. He's freaking the freak out. Yeah. There's no way... That that sweater would have survived that fire. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite variation on that was uh, my younger stepbrother uh, on my dad's side. We were watching a movie together. And when we would watch other movies, I like he was really into the Three Ninjas movie because he was significantly younger than me. And I was just I was a teenager. And so I'd just be like, you know, talking shit about how unrealistic things were in various movies. I don't remember what. I suspect there may have been something unrealistic that happened in Three Ninjas. Mm. But we were watching Star Wars one time, and he tried to do it, and his version of that was, yeah, right. I'm like, what, what is it? And he's like, well, like they're really in space. <laughs> Good one. Uh... You, you got me there. They, they are not really in Wow. Glaring loophole way to ruin the movie man <laughs> sheesh so yeah i can see that being what wally's up to i'm pretty sure that's it yeah so i got a comics history question for you oh what you got in the 80s were there um superhero trading stamps because on page 23 that's what i, I might be the same reporter that was surprised about the talking woman but sure. somebody says something about superhero trading stamps, and that was not a phrase I had, had ever heard before. I'm not particularly familiar with that either. Yeah, I don't know. I remember in, like, the 90s and late 80s, there were, like, sticker albums you'd get, and you would get packs of stickers 
Because mm-hmm. I had one for like the Tick cartoon, even though I was probably too old for that shit at the time. But before that, I had one for like pro wrestling. I still have a Tick guys. action figure. Uh, I mean, me too. So a couple of them. So I think it's fine. <laughs> okay, you good. Have the stickers. I might still have the sticker album somewhere, honestly. Wow. But it, maybe it was a thing like that. I'm not really sure what that was referring to. I immediately went way old timier with it just because of Wolfman's tendencies. And I was like, is that like a, like a ration book that he's talking about? <laughs> and then you never, you have to ration your superheroes like mm. that? Oh, well, there's a war on, so I'll only get rescued from a giant meteorite twice this week. And then once that, uh, once that stamp book's full, guess I'm on my own. Wow. Yeah. All right, so... Superhero okay. ration stamps. Yeah, that's what I was assuming it was. Okay. I think that's what probably makes like the, that. the most sense. Seems like uh, the weirdo beardos on Azeroth must have used up all their stamp books. Because they were just willing to sit back and get all destroyed by Trigon or, you know, whoever. Because it was predestined. So there you go. So, the thing with that that confused me was, okay, so they were all, at some point, Earthlings. Right. So they are like, on a commune or something. and Oh, they were almost in, certainly on a commune. Let's say, somewhere roundabouts, I don't know, Shasta, California. I was seeing it more like a Fruitlands situation. Like, mm-hmm. I think Louisa May Alcott might be hanging out up in uh, Azeroth now. Oh, wow. But, at any rate, at some point they get this information that basically says, okay, guys... Here's the deal. You get to go live X amount of years or lifetimes or whatever it is in perfect peace uh-huh. and be complete pacifist with no consequences. But first, everybody has to take out all of the negative aspects of your soul mm-hmm. and we'll just chuck it in this other dimension and not worry about what's going to happen with it. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get fucking trigons. Yep. It's and made so... out of Azerathian soul sausage. But... They're also told as part of this deal, hey, at some point, all that soul waste that you, I don't know, buried under Yucca Mountain uh-huh. is going to come back and potentially fuck everything up, but you just have to accept that. And they're like, yeah, okay, that sounds cool. Mm-hmm. That's a bad deal. Is it, though? I mean, that was like, what, 400 years ago? So you get to live for 400 years in total peace and harmony, and then... Yeah, you contributed to destroying the entire universe. And they already got rid of all their negative stuff, so nobody could be like, man, I'm bored, this sucks. They're yeah. just like, hey, this is pretty chill. Yeah, they're like, everything is pretty chill forever now. And then One they're like, us. oh, no, now it's over. Except for there's this raven kid who's a real fucking bummer. <laughs> Let's cast her out. <laughs> what do you say? We already clipped out all the snouts and assholes off of our souls to make shitty evil soul sausage. Let's toss this bird chick, too. Yeah. Something about fucking Azeroth just has never sat right with me, but this is kind of the culmination of that, I feel like. There is a really shitty vibe to the idea that they're cool with it, that it's 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 not not just destroying them. They know it's going to destroy everything, and they're like, everybody, don't try to stop this from happening. It's not just that they're cool with it, it's that it's celebratory. Yeah. It's like uh, the, the coming of the... I don't know, Armageddon, like, yeah. but in a celebratory way. Yeah, like, even the, like, the ancient Norse shit, it was like, hey, Ragnarok's coming, and we're resigned to that fact, but, you know, you still struggle against it. You try to win, even though you know you're not going to, and there's, like, I feel like an inherent nobility in that. Mm-hmm. Not not so for the Azerathians. What's more confusing about it is Arella's stance on it, 
Because when the time comes, it seems like she is with the other Beardos on Azeroth. And it's like, hey, this is it. All right, everybody. But before that, she's like, no, Titans, you need to help save us. Like, I know what my daughter just said, that you shouldn't come save us, but you got to come save us. And then she's like, no, we're all going to be destroyed. It's written. It's preordained. What the fuck, Arella? That was very confusing. The only read on it I could have was she was hoping to kind of stall the Beardos in their celebration of the impending doom to give the Titans enough time to fuck up Trigon's plan. Maybe. Because before that, she's super upset. She's the one with the Mobius no, right? Yeah, I think so. It's a little bit tough to tell. That no, 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 oh, no, 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 I think that's because that's, like, she knows that Raven's turning into Trigon Jr. and just not happy about it. Yeah, her whole stance was confusing, and it made me wonder if maybe it was a trap to get the Titans into Azeroth so that everybody gets destroyed together. She didn't previously seem like a tricky type, but maybe she succumbed to Trigon's influence, too. Who can say? I don't think of Trigon as conniving like that. I think of him as more just a brute force of destruction and whatever he wants. He's tried to connive before. Remember when he talked Raven into coming to the dimension with him and was like, no, it'll be cool once you get here. Promise. I'll be good. I won't destroy any children. And then he melts that little girl. Oh, yeah. Remember that shit? Yeah. And, like, he dressed up as a super handsome dude when he was first hooking up with Arella. Oh. And then was like, psych, I got four eyes and antlers. Yeah, I guess he is a tricky guy. Yeah. He's a real turd. Yeah, so I don't know who that is that's speaking at the end when it's, Azar first appeared on Earth knowing the evil was coming. She appeared before us to teach us her ways, lead us from Earth's strife, and bring us to this realm of peace. With never a violent thought, we survived these centuries, waiting for this special day when Azeroth and all who live within must die. Who's saying that? Is that like a collective of the weirdo beardos? It doesn't explain who no no knowed. Who did no no no? I'm... I want to think it's Arella. I think I saw that shit. I might no, no, no. All over the place. I would know until no more. There were no more no's to be known. Man, I would wish that I was a reverse spider so that I could shit myself eight times at once. <laughs> Scary in Azeroth, man. <laughs> it's probably how the spider's in space, right? Isn't that what you said initially? What? That... The reverse spider would be a space creature? Uh, extra dimensional, probably. So, it's really just physics, probably. It's like a propulsion. That's why it evolved to have eight butts. Oh. Like a cuttlefish or something. Right, cuttlefish got eight butts, probably. No, I just mean, that. don't they squirt water to jet around? Yeah, maybe. Or like the Nautilus, like, well, they got weird shit going on that lets them, like, bloop and bloop, raise and lower themselves in the, in the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably something like that. They have eight buttholes so that they can propel different space farts at, in different directions at the same time for, uh, for yeah, in, increased control of navigation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's probably what it is. Probably. That's bad evolutional because then you need a front butt also because otherwise you can't stop. Oh, unless you jet your... We, was, left or rightmost butt real hard and then flip around and then jet all the butts Well, they once. got eight butts. They could have one of them in the front. No, I mean, it's if we're going with the reverse... Butts everywhere! Spiders only have their eyes in the front. Yeah, but there's a reverse spider. I know, so it's got to be all in the back. 
That's if we're sticking with that model. I guess. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Shit yourself eight times. That was scary. <laughs> Very scary. There was an interesting exchange with Jericho very early on in the comic. It is before Cyborg gets struck by lightning. They're in Raven's room. They're looking for her. They're trying to figure out what just happened. Starfire says, Joe, didn't you feel Trigon's existence when you entered Raven's body? And Joe looks super freaked out. He does the and, jerk off motion. He does a jerk off motion. And Starfire says, it's not hard to guess what happened. And that's when he does the jerk off motion. Now, I choose to believe that he is, that is his expression of contrition. And he's pantomiming, yeah, I was a real jerk off. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is funny that it's, it's not hard to guess what happened. And you see this panicked look on Mutton Chop's face. And he just starts pantomiming, jerking off. Looking real scared. But I think he was describing himself as having been a jerk off. Because that is immediately followed by Cyborg saying, Hey, Curly, don't apologize. <laughs> At least you tried to help. Yeah, which we all know is bullshit. Which is total bullshit. That was bad what he did. That What he did was terrible. He should be apologizing for it at the very least. Mm-hmm. So do you think that's a new thing that you want to try and implement? Is uh, the jerk-off motion as a way of apology? Because <laughs> that could really <laughs> send a mixed message. Look, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, I was a real, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that, hey, that's on me. <laughs> it, it's a very nuanced tool of expression, the uh, pantomiming jerk. <laughs> Please stop doing that. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'll stop. Soon. I promise. Learned a new word for uh, roommate. Oh yeah, what's that? Funky. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, Beast Boy calls uh, the rest of the Titans bunkies. That's sweet. Pretty cute. Yeah. Pretty good showing for Beast Boy in this issue. You're right. Assuming that he did not replace the fire extinguisher with novelty prank fire extinguishers that catch everything on fire. Yeah, no, I'm not putting that on him. I think that's total like Trigon making a Nightmare on Elm Street situation oh, take place. Yeah. He should have had like those little uh peanut brittle canned snakes pop out of the fire extinguisher. That would have been funny. Yeah, that's always a good it's one. It's a better prank. Mm-hmm. You ready to get into the minutia? Yeah. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Yeah. Corey, what was your favorite sound effect? So, I did have the Mobius No that we mentioned before. I assume we can use that? Yeah, it's a edge case, but I'm going to go with it. I had it as well. It was just so interesting and innovative and cool looking. Nice. Okay, yeah, so that's my winner. I did, in case that wasn't acceptable, have the backup sound of all of the glass and Raven's Room smashing. Was uh, that the scrack? That, or scratch? Yeah, the scrack is the lightning, which leads to the scratch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, other than that, there really weren't a heck of a lot of sound effects going, which I think helped contribute to the dreamlike feeling of the adventure in Azeroth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. So Mobius, no, 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 no. Yep, no. I had the same one. Nice. Let's take this party to the Bozone. What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, did you feel was worthy of note? So, this was tricky in this issue. I had a couple options. Um, mm-hmm. The one, really, that's, I guess, the most obvious is at the end 
Um, Raven doing her great job as hype man for Trigon telling everybody that their lives were worthless and that they just should let him do whatever the heck he wants. Yep, I think that was pretty good. I think also, although it was perhaps intended more as a simple declaration, referring to people, as, a group of people as humans always seems like a bit of a diss. Mm, okay. I mean, you know, not to me, because I am a human, mm-hmm. human man from Earth. Right. You've seen my t-shirt. You're wearing one right now. Yeah. Just like a human real person. man from Earth. Yeah. Yeah. I did have a backup, which was, I did not like that Cyborg was giving a pass to Jericho for doing the what he did. And creepy, and, invasive. Yeah. And so I chose to think when he called him Curly, he was referring to him as the third stooge. Ooh. Yeah, I don't think... like, not in a friendly way. No, no. I think that would have been more if he was calling him uh, Curly Joe, the replacement for Curly. That's probably worse. Yeah. But, you know, it's a busy comic. You only got so many letters. They're already stretched pretty thin there. There's a lot of words in this book. Awful lot of words. Which is why for my bozo, I went for... The way that both Beast Boy and Nightwing refer to some Azerathians as pal. <laughs> First, Beast Boy says, up you go, pal. I'll take you to safety. And the Beardo's like, no, please do not interfere. Our way is not to offer resistance. Why do you interfere? Our destiny is as set as yours. And the Nightwing says, pal, I'm not here to argue philosophy. Man, he tackles his butt. Yep. So the Parapals was my Bozone. I think he each of those Titans is implicitly calling their respective weirdo beardo a Bozo when they call them Pal. I quite like it. As do I. Corey, were you able to find a timestamp in this issue? If you mean a reference to somebody whose career spanned from the 1920s to the early 60s, yes! Same deal, because you know what teens love in the 80s? References to hobo clowns of the 40s. We're talking Emmett Kelly, right? We're talking Emmett Kelly. But it could also be that teens love not only Weary Willy, the clown we mentioned. The, the, yes, the, the sad hobo clown as depicted in many velvet paintings. Or... Might just be that they're really into later uh, Kelly, such as Bigamy Bob, the character that he played in a 1958 movie. (laughs) Man, teens in the 80s were into some wild shit. (laughs) Yeah, I I got nothing to say. I don't know. That was the weirdest shit. I I looked it up, and and the first picture is that sad hobo cloud. Yeah. No way. Wolfman. I mean, in a way, he is painting a picture of a Wally West who really is super regressive and wants to go back to the 1950s. I feel like we've talked about that. And I feel like that is kind of painting that picture of Wally West. And that is really as close as we get to a timestamp in this issue. Now, if we want to go with a show and tell, then we definitely do have the, it's a woman and she's talking to us. There was that, and then there was also when everything goes crazy and starts flying around, the fire extinguisher makes more fire, and all of that happens, and, like, books and telephones and plates and what have you are all, like, in a whirlwind. Mm -hmm. Dick says, everything's gone wild! (laughs) I was like, yeah, no shit! Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think those are both solid choices. For a show and tell. And really, yeah, for a timestamp, I was like, Emmett Kelly, that name sounds familiar. Is that a football player? 
who was notable for being sad. Yeah. Um, and then looked it up and is like, oh, uh, all right. Yeah, I think I googled sad Emmett Cully and then that hobo clown <laughs> came up and was like, ah. It's a startling image. It really is. I don't know, maybe the surprise at women talking is, is a better 80s timestamp. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I wish that said it in the 80s and not today. Mm-hmm. Surprise and dismay at women speaking, mm-hmm. um, I think is uh, unfortunately a bit of an evergreen thus far. <laughs> Agreed. Fart noise. I can only make the one. So far. Don't sell yourself short. You may not be an extra-dimensional reverse spider today, but who knows what the future will hold. Sartorially speaking, which element of fashion depicted in this issue did you feel was most worthy of note? Lilith's entrance on page five. She's got a pretty awesome outfit. She really does. Her and Wally both have interesting variations on vests going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both of their outfits are fucking spectacular. Lilith particularly. It's a hell of a look. It, It's really, it's like a combination leotard overalls swimsuit. Short, short overalls? Oh, yeah, short, short overalls, kind of, but almost a swimsuit type look over a white t-shirt and then a, a fuchsia choker. It's a very 80s look. It's what I'm describing doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you saw that outfit in the 80s, you'd be like, no, oh, yeah, that's a good outfit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Leotards were all the rage. Yeah. What'd you get that at the Express Limited? Or TJ Maxx? Or Benetton? It's an 80s look that doesn't, when you describe it, because it is like she's wearing a fuchsia and black striped low cut swimsuit over a sleeveless white t-shirt and the swimsuit is tucked into a pair of purple short shorts with a white belt that sounds like i'm just saying gibberish but when you look at it it's like yeah that's a pretty good outfit i bet she put the t-shirt on first right and then had like one of those like a jane fonda workout leotard but put it on backwards over the t-shirt and then put the pants on yeah that sounds about right that's pretty inventive. And then, yeah, a fuchsia choker, which really ties the whole outfit together. Um, and some uh, dangly gold earrings. Good look. It's a really good look. And so, yeah, hers is more of a swimsuit than a vest. But Wally West also has a really good look. He is wearing either a tight white polo shirt with red sleeves and a red collar, or he is wearing a white vest over a red polo shirt. But it's a good look. It's a good and very 80s look. Nice high-waisted Mom boy jeans? Yeah, mom boy jeans. Boy mom jeans? Either way, that's what he's wearing, and that is one of the things that I missed about Perez. He seemed to have a genuine interest in fashion design in the clothing that he depicted, and I think that might have come from the fact that the he was married to a woman who did a fair amount of fashion design, hmm. uh, which we saw in the issue 50. He credited his then-girlfriend with designing the clothing in the issue, and... It's a fun touch of Perez's that he has here. And in keeping with his attention, extreme sometimes, attention to detail, on page eight, there's a panel where one of the extra characters, 
like a background character as a little kid with, I guess, his mom or his grandma. <laughs> yeah. And he's got a pink shirt that says Spoiled Rotten. I was considering that for the Bozone, honestly. <laughs> that <kid. laughs> like, that, just, that the grandma was just like, ugh, they stuck me with this fucking brat. All right, you little I'm gonna shit. Put him in. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a shirt. Like, it could be a cute thing where it's like, grandma gets to spoil me, but it could also just be grandma being like, Ah, oh, fuck, this kid's spoiled rotten. I'm gonna send him home wearing a t-shirt that says this. The kid can't read yet. The mom will know what I'm fucking talking about. She's doing a bad job. Feed him a half a dozen donuts and drop him off. Yeah, this is a real passive-aggressive move. Just send a kid home in a shirt that essentially says, I'm a real piece of shit. <laughs> huh, that's a funny idea. I don't think that would probably go over very well. I think I think you do that, you're burning some bridges. <laughs> spoiled rotten you can maybe get away with. But, uh, if you get a bridge to burn, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess putting a toddler in a shirt that says, I'm a real piece of shit. <laughs> Definitely is going to get your point across. Mm -hmm. To burning bridges. Spoiled rotten. <laughs> Every issue of a Teen Titan comic has a Beast Boy, the worst of Teen Titans. And every Teen Titans comic has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Aqualad? So, I think, and I don't know, maybe you disagree, but I would say the obvious choice here is probably Lilith, because she puts a lot of crap behind her for mm -hmm. not just the good of the team, but for really the whole world. Good of the planet, yeah. Mm -hmm. But instead, and I think you'll take umbrage at this, I went with Wally because I really, other than the thing with the not telling his teammates that uh, he couldn't run anymore... I feel like he just put a lot of crap behind him and did something he really didn't want to do because it was the right thing to do, which is not a behavior that I would have expected really ever to see from him. That and also he was decisive about just deciding to do it. So good job, Wally. I feel like you've matured a lot despite what Hub thinks. <laughs> Indeed, despite what I think, which we will get to in a second. I had for my Aqualad Jericho. What? Really had a full turnaround from the last issue. Because admitted that he was a real jerk-off. And also, after Cyborg gets zapped with lightning, he carries Cyborg out of the room. Mm -hmm. Jericho does not have any augmented strength. Mm -hmm. Cyborg weighs nearly 400 pounds. Jericho manages to pick him up and carry him out of the room where he feels he is in the most danger. That is a hell of a fucking feat. Wow, it's like uh, like the super strength that like moms get when their car is on top of the baby or something. Yeah. I wonder if that's any superhero's origin. It's just they have a baby that they are constantly putting in danger in order to get that jolt of energy and strength. Oh, not just because they're super absent-minded? <laughs> no, that like they are purposefully, like they carry a baby around with them and are just like, Oh, Trigon needs a punch in the mug. Kid, get under this bus! Okay, save the kid, go punch Sucko! Pow! Okay. Then rescue the kid. Probably rescue the kid first. Well, she should, but clearly this is a bad mother that I have invented. Wow. I mean, this is a shaft-level bad mother. Mm. And I will not shut my mouth. <laughs> now, conversely, for my beast boy, I had Wally. I thought you might go in that direction. It's fun when we have uh, dueling heroes. I agree. It's for the reasons I've outlined before, specifically the expressing incredulity at the idea of a seance when Scared, he has... Scared, frightened bravado. 
Nothing more. I feel like you don't get to do that once you have convinced a farmer to shoot a child because it is a demon. Um, that was old Wally. He barely remembers that. Yeah. Uh, Plus, he was in a syrup-addled fugue state. <laughs> Probably. But, I don't know. He, he's, syrup he's evincing a real Scully-esque attitude there. I don't believe in aliens. I'm like, Scully, you got kidnapped by aliens. You have a baby with aliens. There is fucking aliens. Yeah, that did get old. Yeah, and that's what I feel like it's at with Wally. And really, any character in the DC Universe who is still being like, there's no such thing as supernatural. So that and the fact that he does not inform his teammates that he is unable to use his super speed before going into battle with them in a life-threatening situation. I think he's being a bad teammate, he's being a bad titan, and he's being a real beast boy. Yeah, that said, it's not written in such a way that says he can't use his super speed that he thinks using it will kill him. Sure. So he thinks he can use it, and he's willing to do it at the potential loss of his own life. It's not until he gets to Azeroth and tries to follow Lilith into the thing, he realizes his legs won't work anymore. Well, I think if that's the case, then what he needs to say is, you guys, if push comes to shove, I can use my super speed, but I can only do it once. Like, that changes tactics as well. Even if you don't want to say, like, it'll kill me if I do it, just be like, I can only use my super speed once. Like, if you're counting on him... To be able to continually run at super speed, which as a tactician, there's no reason why Nightwing wouldn't be counting on him to do that. I, That's going to alter your game plan pretty significantly. I agree with that, but the way that I read it was that it will kill him eventually, and he thought that he could complete whatever the mission required without dying on the spot or fucking up, and then when he realized he couldn't run, he was like, oh no, <laughs> this is real, real bad. But then everything blew up. Well, I still think he was being a real Jericho apologizing. We may need to put a camera in this room just to... <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if when you're listening, at any point you want to assume that I'm pantomiming jerking off, it's probably a pretty safe assumption. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wonder if you can edit in like a, I don't know, a slide whistle sound effect or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Tory jerk-off motion, there you go. <laughs> That was pretty... I didn't know he had that side whistle there, you guys. That was uh, fortuitous. I always keep one in my desk. You never know. Yeah. When you need to make a jerk-off sound. It's true. I don't think of the slide whistle as necessarily I, being a jerk-off sound. I think that as more as a I'm losing my erection sound. <laughs> Which would be, in many ways, the opposite of a jerk-off. Yeah. I don't know where I got that from. It just sounded like a funny noise to say. I didn't <laughs> know that you would have that whistle there. <laughs> Well, you know what they say. When you make an assumption, fuck you. That's what that's I've heard you say that before, that's for certain. Yep. Corey. Yep. What was your favorite panel? Oh Jesus, a fucking all of it? I don't know. Yeah, I know. It, it's a fucking cop out, but it's tough not to pick the whole issue. It is freaking gorgeous. There is the aha eight-page spread that I'm tempted to choose as my favorite panel, mm -hmm. where it's from page, I think, 15 through 22. You just get this gorgeous pencil sketches of the Teen Titans interacting with a Kirby Crackle world. 
Yep. I think of that, my favorite is the two-page splash that's in the middle of it where they're walking across the giant stalagmite into Azeroth, uh, which is lightly penciled and beautiful, and when they try to reproduce it in the newsprint, it they have to go over it in inks to get it to come out, but it it's just gorgeous. Yep, I had uh, that one as one of the four or so ones that I wrote down. Yeah, other than that, man... Cyborg getting electrocuted, the colors in that pop. It is like a full page of Kirby Crackle, but in three different colors. You get the lightning that is bright yellow, you have Cyborg's outline, and then he is covered with red Kirby Crackle against a background of blue with black Kirby Crackle. And god damn, that is gorgeous. It's very striking. What else did you have? I had a uh, Trigon the Terrible at the end on page 24. Is... We talked about it already. Yeah. Raven's floating there like a total badass hype, hype person, and his codpiece cloth, his loincloth, as I guess you call it, is mm-hmm. flowing his, in the wind. And... His scallop-necked Dracula cape is flowing in the breeze. Bunch of pink dragons floating around on another black and um, dark blue Kirby crackle with super dark purple clouds and titan towers that stalagmite. Yeah. That's amazing. It's real nice. Like you said, you could kind of pick any panel out of this. It is absolutely gorgeous, and everyone is really playing with the medium in a really interesting way and exploring the fact that they're printing in a new format. It almost reminded me of, like, when you listen to old 50s and early 60s recordings of, like, like the Space Age Bachelor Pad music, mm-hmm. where they're like, I'm thinking of Juan Esquivel specifically, mm-hmm. where they're playing with the idea that people have new hi-fis, and so, like... You get them playing with the format of stereo and being like, oh, so we can have like a musical conversation from one speaker to the other. It's just really innovative and really beautiful and a hell of a pretty issue. It's a real Esquivel. Mucha muchacha. Too much of a comic. (laughs) Well, Corey, Mm -hmm. I believe I have but one final question I must put to you. Yes. Waput! In the year of our Lord, 1986, and the month of our Lord, January, because we are going from the date of the reprint of this issue in Tales of the Teen Titans, what was Aqualad probably up to? Wapoot! He was really getting his nerd on in January of 1986, as we've talked about before, uh, pretty into personal computers and a lot that was going on in that space. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he did often find himself swimming over to the old left coast of the U.S. and making the trek into the valley to hang out and see what was going on with some of the luminaries of the field. And yeah, I was actually really pleased to learn that he had a huge influence on something that's really been part of a kind of technological cornerstone of what I spent most of my my professional career in the industry internationalization localization which is this uh set of standard or a standard called unicode which basically says that the way that all humans communicate the characters that we use to communicate should have a unique representation so like a code point that says i don't know something like uh you with the umlaut over it or whatever it is whatever character that we use has this code point so that then uh, we can leave it up to all the people making the software or the fonts or the whatever it is to figure out how to represent that character, but it's always going to show up correctly and you're not going to get some 
you know, little box or other, like, we don't know how so to like display this. So like a programming Esperanto, kind of. Like a, a lingua franca. Yeah, but for the display of all the world's written languages and uh, also now emoji and everything else you can think of. And uh, so uh, Joe Becker, a guy from, from Xerox, along with some folks from, from Apple, in the right at the beginning of the month, January 86, got together and formed the IETF, the uh, um, Internet Engineering Task Force. And then Wait, uh, there was an internet back then? Yeah. Wow. And then uh, about a, a year after that, the kind of first proposal for, for what would later become Unicode came out of that. And so I just got a real kick out of Aqualad, you know, getting the guys together and saying, look, someday Atlantean and all these other languages are, we're going to need to have a way to represent them on the screens that we have and these other devices and we need to make sure that it's accessible along with all the other world's languages what are we going to do about it wow that is a very exciting way to begin the month for our young atlantean friend yeah so towards the end of the month i tell you aqualad was on a real roller coaster see he heard about what his pals the titans were up to with trigon and he's like trigon trigon that sounds really familiar and so he went through, and when he had been an orphan living on the floor of the ocean outside of Atlantis when he was a boy, he would find these washed-up pulp magazines that had been discarded years ago. And one of his favorites had a novella in it that was called The Indigestible Triton, which featured a character in it called Trigon the Triton who was a descendant of Poseidon. It was a weird, very poorly written, but still engaging to a young Aqualad fantasy novella about a guy who was out fishing and caught a giant fish that granted wishes, and the fish was named Trigon the Triton. And it really brought him back thinking about this. And so he's like, I'm going to look up whatever happened to that author of that and see if he wrote any more stories that I might enjoy. It was an author named... Rene Lafayette. And so he looked that up and was dismayed to find out a couple of things. First of all, the author who used Rene Lafayette was a pseudonym for somebody who died that month. So that was a real bummer. The other thing that he discovered was that it was a pseudonym for L. Ron Hubbard. Oh. And then he started looking into L. Ron Hubbard and he was like, oh dear. <laughs> oh dear. That was my favorite author? I mean, I guess it means I've got 500 other novels I can read. That's kind of nice. But this other stuff, not, not so good. So he just didn't know what to think. And so he was pretty just bummed out and weirded out and elated and confused. And then he, he learned something that kind of drew everything together. On that very same day, January 24th, the same day that L. Ron Hubbard slash Rene Lafayette died, he learned of a space expedition that was happening where Voyager number two took pictures of Uranus and discovered some moons. <laughs> the wording I had was Voyager two did a flyby of Uranus and discovered new moons. <laughs> yep. Pretty good. Pretty good. Which means that also, if it was just a flyby, a real number two flew out of Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> and that just made Aqualad giggle, and suddenly everything was okay. Thanks, Aqualad.
Thanks for <laughs> Thanks, that. Voyager number two for flying out of Uranus because <laughs> of those moons. Thank you so much for listening. Listeners, we love you. You've done it again. Oh, bye, Cracky. <laughs> if you would like to get into touch with us, and why wouldn't you? You can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. If you wouldn't mind leaving us a review on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using these days, there's one called Podbay, I understand. Why not use that? Or Overcast. These are places where podcasts can be found. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know any other places where podcasts can be found, Corey? None that we haven't mentioned before. Probably a pea pod. That's one. You know, peas in a pod. Mm-hmm. Poos in a pod? Was that a... Thing? That was what we were wondering. Yeah. Don't listen to us on poo pod. But if you do, leave us a review there. A good one. Um... <laughs> whew, maybe we should not be drinking out of these goblets. I, I know. It wasn't that much whiskey. <laughs> no, it doesn't seem like it at the time. Whew. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or LinkedIn mm-hmm. or Sea Captains Only. Corey's shaking his head and making the jerk-off motion. <laughs> um, here's a fun trick. If you don't like listening to the show, then leave us a positive review on iTunes or whatever your podcatcher is, but just keep making the jerk-off motion the whole time so that... Uh, iTunes will know you're being sarcastic. That's a, that's a little industry insider tip you can use. Trick. Yeah. Hack. Yeah, people will know. Right. They'll know that you don't mean it if, if you keep pantomiming as you leave the review. If you would like to donate to us financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do so, you will receive access to a whole bunch of bonus materials. You will also get access to a monthly podcast that Lisa and I do called What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. It's a show where we talk about Howard the Duck. It's good. You'll like it, probably. There's only one way to find out, and that's to give us money. Don't forget to kiss your booties and hug each other tight. Yeah, and that's one to grow on. Thanks, guys. Goodbye. Bye. I'm waving. Not making the jerk off sign he's just waving for regular well when you say it though it makes it sound like i am (laughs) Ah. goodbye <laughs> See, it came back up at the end. That's a, yeah, not a total. No, no, that that was just a sign of a refractory period.